I started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Asteroids and artificial intelligence, changing technology. That's what's in the news this week. That's what we're going to touch on on the Seeker podcast and the impact it's going to have. It is having on all of us. I just want to talk a little bit about how human society seems to be adapting and changing and evolving, or is it devolving as technology becomes further integrated in our lives? Dennis Nappy the second here, my friends, with the Seeker podcast at Six Cents Media. Excited to be back on the air, coming to you from my brand new office, my office slash studio. I went through the big move over the last week. It's still a move in progress. I've talked a lot about it over the past couple of weeks as I've been building up to this 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 transition. And I think a lot of us have gone through drastic changes since COVID. And I've talked about how it's a matter of our perception and there's been times where I felt that the sky is falling just because everything seemed like it was falling apart around me. A move is catastrophic. It's traumatic. It's also exciting. It's optimistic. But there, you have to have that breakdown of your home. And you've got to go through old things and get rid of old things. And it's just been a, a hard emotional process. And I'm nearing the end of that journey I'll be making one more trip this weekend to go finish cleaning up the house and, and haul off some, some of the trash. And then the the handoff is complete. But I'm already set up and settled into the new home. And I can feel the, the new avenues formulating and the change taking place. And I think that's what a lot of us are going through right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and all the changes and impacts that are coming from that. And some of us have gone through some really bad things during this. Some of us have lost people. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have lost our minds, myself included. I, I really, you know, there were times where I felt like all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Just being, just, just going through it and, and, and trying to process everything that's happened. But I came out on the other side and I'm confident that all of you can do the same. I want to share a quote tonight from the great Mr. Feeney from the show Boy Meets World from back in the 90s. 
I want to talk a little bit about what that means to me and, and how that kind of came came to fruition today with some other things that I've seen online. So I'm going to jump into this clip and play this. It's about two minutes long, just under two minutes, and then talk about it. But I want you to realize this was, I'd say, mid-90s when this episode came out. And it's resonated with me ever since I saw it. Maybe because I'm a teacher now. Maybe because I'm a parent now. Maybe because of the things that we talk about here on this show. But I find it so insightful and I find it so relevant to today. So without further ado, here's my good friend, Mr. Feeney. I'm going to try to put this as kindly as possible. The show has turned into a circus. And you three are driving the tiny car. <laughs> Mr. Feeney, I, I mean, I, I'm proud that I knew that Krusty the Clown was the son of a rabbi. Can I answer a real question, Mr. Feeney? About the Tigris and the Euphrates. Miss Lawrence, I would never deny you your moment in the sun. But knowledge fever no longer has much to do with the kind of knowledge I would want you to absorb. Mr. Feeney, look. Well, the show's proving that we're absorbing the right type of knowledge, right? I mean, that's why we're the champions. Oh, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Champions of what, Mr. Matthews? Of a generation whose verbal and mathematical skills have sunk so low when you have the highest level of technology at your fingertips? Gutenberg's generation thirsted for a new book Every six months, your generation gets a new web page every six seconds. And how do you use this technology? To beat King Cooper and save the princess. Shame on you. You deserve what you get. Sit down. Stay where you are. For the first time, I choose to walk out on you. There you have it, friends. Mr. Feeney. And this is one of those moments, man. I, I watched... This is the second time I've watched this today. I'm not going to lie. I, I, my eyes are welling up with tears as I, as I watch that. When he said, you deserve what you get. That's such a powerful thing because... I don't think we fully understand what we're getting yet. I see it a lot with my students, the addiction to technology, but it's an addiction in a way that it's entertaining, but they're not really getting much out of it. I mean, an entire subculture has been created with a whole language and slang and symbols and knowledge and but is it bettering our society? Is it bettering our youth and preparing them for the future? Well, it depends on what that future may be. When we look at Ready Player One, that's, a, I think, a prime example of a potential for where our future may be heading as we look at this integration with virtual reality and this merging of consciousness. But what are we doing with it? We have so much knowledge at our fingertips, and we have the problem with fake news, and we have the problem with just mindless entertainment, which from time to time is enjoyable and okay, I would say. I had a friend of mine share a video online today. It was five minutes of what they call influencers 
exposing them for the phonies that they are. And that's not saying everybody who considers themselves an influencer is a phony. I know some influencers, if that's the term. I know some of these people who they practice what they preach. And they really work hard to create content to entertain, to inform, to educate. I mean, I would fit in that category as well. I'm not blowing up with numbers like some of these people, but I try to inform, to educate, and to entertain. That's not what this video was focusing on. It was focusing on the people who are making a living, making a pretty darn good living, with these fake influences. And they showed a video, and one of the clips, it was a woman, she gets out of her Mercedes with her boyfriend, and it was before, I think, a hurricane, and people were boarding up their windows, and she ran over to this guy, and she's like, can I hold your drill? And she holds his drill, and and she takes her, you know, a couple selfies holding the drill, and probably made this post saying, like, out here helping prepare for the storm, and then she gets in her Mercedes, and she drives off. She didn't help at all. And it was, it was a dozen or so of these videos of these people getting caught just, you know, they're referring to them as narcissistic, getting the photo opportunity you know, a lot of people were out there during the Black Lives Matter protests. They would just go out and they'd get the selfie, they'd show their poster, and then they'd get in their cars and they'd drive away. They're not there for the event. And it does a disservice to the people who are there and emotionally invested and in working that time. And we, again, it's this fake news, this fake society, and we need to be mindful of what we're supporting what we're watching and where this is all leading what is the next generation what are we leaving behind for the next generation again society's shifting and i have a news article that i'm going to share that's going to support that statement as well with the crypto team i, I highly recommend you check out there's a trailer on youtube that dick Algire put out there from a session we did about two weeks ago focused on what's called the great reset and there's only so much I can say on this platform, but society is changing in a way that sounds like science fiction. But for those of you that have been following this show, and especially those of you that have been following crypto viewing, you know how we've been putting these pieces together for a long time, for a couple of years now. And I, I keep... I'm in a state of awe as I watch this unfold and become more and more public as we see the pieces falling into place. And several of the stories that I'm going to share tonight just talk about or they they point directly to this transition we are in right now. It's not that this is coming. It's not that this is going to happen. This is already happening right now. And technology is forever changing humanity. And the goal, as we've talked about with Elon Musk and Google and, and all those other platforms out there, is to merge humanity with technology. And when you look at the vast numbers of people, especially this younger generation, and the type of things they're using technology for and the ways in which they're using technology, you and I can resist this all day long. At the end of the day, there are a large number of our population who are willingly making this transition. The hard part is it's that they don't understand the full extent of what they're doing. I don't understand the full extent of what I'm doing. But I feel that they understand even less of what they're giving up. 
They may be gaining a lot too, but again, I think we're going a level deeper. We're giving up more control. And it's, uh, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on this because as the world's changing, I do think that on the surface level, society is going to appear so much better. We'll be more economical in terms of the resources we're using, more efficient, less destructive of the planet, less destructive of one another. It'll be almost that utopian society, you know, those futuristic societies where technology is great and everybody gets along and be well. It reminds me, and I would highly recommend watching the movie Demolition Man. I, I watched that the other night and I was like, oh my gosh, this is where we're going. Now, those of you listening to this, the, the year right now, it's uh, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today's date is October 23rd, 2020. If you're listening to this show somehow, some way, 50 years, 100 years out, uh, I want you to look up a movie called Demolition Man. And I want you to tell me how similar their society is to yours. And this is just a guess. It's not a psychic thing. It's not an intuitive thing. Uh, it's more of an analytical thing based on, I guess, psychic and intuitive processes. But it's just this happy society that has these certain rules that's highly connected to technology. And... Um, but underneath the surface, there's something more sinister that's going on. And I think that's where we're going. I also compare it to, um, oh, who wrote the book, The Time Machine? I can't, I can't remember his name right now. Um, but the book, The Time Machine with the Eloy and uh, I think it's the Morlocks that live underground. The Eloy live this beautiful, peaceful life on the surface of the planet. And uh, their food's provided for them. They don't have to work. They just kind of carefree up there. But there's something dark that haunts their dreams. And underground lives the Morlocks, and they psychically can influence these people. And at times they come up, the Morlocks, they come up and they feed. And if you've read Food for the Archons, you understand that fear that I have. So we may be making this transition to a society that feels so much better, but how much of our control and awareness will we be giving up? And again, Here's the reality is there are many of us who are going to hold on with the intention of preserving the knowledge, preserving the old ways, which are the ways we are right now, but we're going to die off. And I suspect that like the Native American people who remember the old world before the last destruction, six to 12,000 years ago, they have held on to the knowledge and passed it on, which is how we today have some of that information. And that may be our purpose. I personally don't think we're going to stop this change from happening. I think we need to find a way to survive it and thrive so this knowledge can be passed on so we can remember who we truly are. That's what I feel uh, deep inside is one of our, at least for me, uh, a purpose or a function. And maybe that's part of the program that we're, that we're leading here. But how do we do that? Right now, it seems as if part of the world is completely falling apart. And then part of it is going on as normal. I, I'm in education and education has been completely upended. And it's one of the 
most challenging times as a teacher that I've ever experienced. And and keep in mind, I started teaching um, after leaving the police department in a very violent school, and that was traumatic for me. This is challenging on such a different level. So we have all these challenges that we're facing, but at the same time, we still have to pay our bills. Life is still going on just differently. And I look at my children and it's like, I see all these things happening, but yet I'm trying to maintain a sense of normalcy for my kids. When inside I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, sometimes it feels like the world is ending. How do we do that? I don't, I don't have that answer. I'm doing the best I can. What I, what I try to do is take advantage of every moment I have to do something fun, to do something that I enjoy and include my kids and my family in that and to hold on to those moments. And I have made some videos with that. That's me being an influencer, right? I have put some videos of those things up there and I find value in those moments, even if it's only for me and my family. So I, I don't have an answer for that right now uh, in terms of how do we really we're, we're straddling two different worlds as this transition is, is upon us. Um, and we're doing the best we can because at the same time, we also need to, we need to learn. We need to learn what's coming and we need to learn how to function and thrive in this new world, which can be an exciting process, something new. It's like going back to school. But we also have to manage the sadness we may feel as we watch the old world being dismantled in sometimes very cruel or scary or upsetting ways. So none of it's easy. It's it's all very hard. And I, I want to go back to a couple of shows ago talking about that perspective and that focus that we hold on to. I think that is of the utmost importance. Um, but there's days we're going to feel sad. There's days we're going to feel like we're losing it. And we can't go on. We don't want to go on. We're not going to understand why things are happening this way. And we just need to ride those moments out and focus on these goals that we're setting for ourselves and finding that purpose and enjoying those moments where we can find that peace and that happiness. I want to shift to uh, some news stories here that I've that I've come across. Um, let's start with this one comes from sciencealert.com. And we're talking about the changing world that we're in. And I suspect that space is going to become very important in our future, which is awesome. I think the potential there, possibly moving into a Star Trek level society. You talk to Ray Davis and he will talk to you about this as well. Um, and he, he always puts these inspirational ideas out there of where we're going. And I think this, if we can play it right, this transition is happening. But if we can, if we can handle this appropriately, there are things we will have access to that I think will be incredible. This doesn't have to be the end of everything for us. So here's a, an announcement coming. ScienceAlert.com, the heading or the title is, NASA will announce an exciting new discovery about the moon on Monday. Monday will be October 26, 2020. According to the latest dispatch from NASA, the space agency has an exciting new discovery about the moon coming on Monday, 26 October. Curiously, the new results results are courtesy of the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or look at that, the name is SOFIA, S-O-F-I-A. 
Uh, I believe that's a throwback. I'm just going to go out on a limb here to the Gnostic texts talking about Sophia, the Aeon, who's responsible for the creation of uh, this reality here. It's the world's largest airborne observatory and is actually a Boeing 747 SP plane with a hole cut out in it, modified to carry a large reflecting telescope. Unlike earthbound telescopes, Sophia soars some 11 kilometers, that's 38,000 feet, above the ground, high in our planet's atmosphere. Here, the observatory can rise above the 99% of the atmosphere that blocks infrared wavelengths, allowing it to study the infrared universe. Now, again, that go, to go back to that point where most of the stuff in this reality is invisible to us. We can't see most of what's out there. We can only see a very tiny amount. We can only perceive, see, hear, feel, taste, whatever. There's a ton of stuff out there, which is exciting. It's certainly a busy plane. Let's see here. Where, where's, where's, let's get to this uh, announcement here. Sophia's instruments have previously delivered a landmark detection of oxygen in the Martin, Martian atmosphere. The first detection of molecular bond in space and countless infrared measurements that have illuminated exoplanet collisions, the hearts of galaxies, and much more, including this stunning infrared view of the center of our Milky Way, which they have a picture of. I'll have the link in the show notes. This time, the observatory has turned its sights much closer to home. The new discovery, discovery contributes to NASA's efforts to learn about the moon in support of deep space exploration. Participants of the media briefing include Nassim Rangwala from NASA's Ames Research Center, who's a project scientist for the SOFIA mission, and Jacob Bletcher, uh, or Bleacher, Chief Exploration Scientist for the Human Exploration and Operations Mission Directorate at NASA. We'll find out more about the discovery on Monday, but NASA makes it clear it will have something bearing on the Artemis program, the ambitious plan to send humans back to the lunar surface in 2024 as a waypoint to start exploration of Mars in the 2030s. Let's think about that again. By 2024, we're going back to the moon, and by the 2030s, we're going to Mars. I just saw something, I didn't pull the article, I should have, uh, on Elon Musk and the structures he plans, the self-sufficient structures he plans to create to uh, exist on Mars. We're going to Mars. Now, you want to talk conspiracy theory. There's some some chatter out there on the net, on the web. I'm sure, I'm not sure how Mr. Feeney would feel about this chatter. He may be in favor of it. He may not be. I don't have a chance to ask him, but um, that maybe people like Elon Musk know something. Maybe they know, I know this is doom and gloom, maybe fear-mongering. I'm going to take it as just creative storytelling right now. Maybe they know something. Maybe they are making the best effort they possibly can to get off of this planet to survive something. Maybe it's already happened before. I don't know. But it's interesting, this all of a sudden, why? Why all of a sudden are we so amped up to go back to space, back to the moon, back to Mars, beyond creating these satellite nets that completely envelop the Earth, which are going to have a serious play in this change on the planet that we're going through, and the Space Force, and Space Wars, and all this stuff that's going on. It's a lot to think about. Speaking of space here, from thehill.com, Neil deGrasse Tyson warns asteroid could hit Earth the day before the election. That's a big, bold headline. Underneath that, in a much smaller font, it says, Don't panic. You can still vote. 
And this is, uh, I thought this was a fun article and it really caught my attention at first. And I've heard about this before. Neil deGrasse Tyson warned that this asteroid, uh, he was on, I think his Instagram or his Twitter account, this asteroid was going to hit Earth uh, on November 2nd, which is the day before the presidential election. But here's what he actually wrote. Asteroid 2018 VP1, a refrigerator-sized space rock, is hurtling towards us at more than 25,000 miles per hour. It may buzz cut Earth on November 2nd, the day before the presidential election. But it's not big enough to cause harm, so if the world ends in 2020, it won't be the fault of the universe. So, that's what he's saying. Hey, this asteroid's coming, it could buzz the Earth, um, but it's not going to really you know, be a, a, an, what do they call it? An, an Ellie, an, an extinction level event. That's not what we're looking at, but you see these headlines and you have that panic moment. All right. But speaking of asteroids ending existence here on earth, again, the hill.com, this is from December 20th. Televangelist Pat Robertson says, God told him Trump will win. Then an asteroid will hit the earth. Televangelist Pat Robertson said on Tuesday that God told him President Trump will win, and more than five years later, an asteroid will hit the Earth and maybe bring the end. First of all, I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election, Robertson, the founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network, told the 700 Club. That doesn't mean you sit home and don't vote, he added. That means that you get out and do everything you can to work, but he's going to win. That's, I think, a given. Uh, And then what did he say here? Here's some of his predictions uh, that for the country and the world after the election, including civil, he made some predictions that deal with civil unrest, at least two attempts on Trump's life and a war against Israel that will be put down by God. Then the world will see at least five years uh, or more of extraordinary peace before the asteroid. What I think, very frankly, is the only thing that will fulfill the world, the word of Jesus, is some kind of asteroid strike on the globe. It's sudden destruction. It's not going to be some nuclear war. We're not going to be allowed to blow this earth up. Following a description of the asteroid's damage, Robertson then said, then maybe the end would come next. So that's the prediction coming out of Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. You know... I don't want to just mock him and go, oh, yeah, I guess you talk to God. We we really don't know. Now, we know that there's a lot of scams out there. Um, we know that there's fake news. There's, there's reasons for people to put these fear-based statements out there. There's money to be made from making statements like that. But I want us to be mindful Uh, when we're looking at this, and even if we're criticizing it, to be careful of how we criticize it. Because how many of us have had some kind of supernatural or paranormal experience where we're saying, I heard a voice from somewhere else. I mean, I say it every week. I got a download. I got some intuitive information. Maybe he did hear a voice and he's interpreting it as the voice of God. Maybe he made it up. What's interesting is that timeline puts us, what do you say, five years after... uh, Let's see. First of all, I want to say Trump's going to win the election. I'm, I'm reading here. The world after the election, civil unrest. 
at least five years or more of extraordinary peace. Okay, so after Trump is done, that puts us at what, 2024, and then five years after that is 2029. Now, the big year we're looking at here is 2030. If you follow the work of David Dubine of Adapt 2030, I, I interviewed him on the crypto team, um, and he's doing some great work covering um, this coming grand solar minimum. Now, forgive me, I'm looking for a picture I took as well. Um, it's very similar to the work that Ben Davidson does of suspicious observers. I got an alert the other day uh, from Ben Davidson's site, and he said, evidence of acceleration of geomagnetic shift recorded at ground and satellites. This shortens the timeline to reversal, meaning polar magnetic reversal, from two to five decades to 10 to 30 years. This increases the risk that this solar cycle will cause global grid failure from around 20% to around 40%. Full story in the AM. That AM, I believe, was either this morning or yesterday morning. So check out his YouTube channel for that update on that. But again, that puts us in that 2030 window. Ben is a very credible guy as well. Um, so you, you have the you know TV evangelicalist preacher who you could sit there and go, yeah, you're talking to God. But he's predicting a, predicting a disaster at the same time that some of our really bright scientists are predicting as well. Plus this mass migration, not mass, but these pushes to get to Mars, get to the moon, you know, within that time frame. What's it leading towards, my friends? And I'm not trying to scare us. Again, I think that if we get on the right side of this, we can look at this as an opportunity and as a time of potential. Yes, there is sad stuff that is attached to this. But if you're listening to this show, I truly believe that you have this pull for a reason, this this desire to know something for a reason, for a purpose. What is that purpose? Only you can figure that out. All right. Let's look more at this change here that's coming. This comes to us from BloombergQuint.com. Robots encroach on up to 800 million jobs around the world. Again, this is a thread I've been covering for a few years. Coming from Bloomberg, advances in automation technology threaten a significant share of jobs in industries, accounting for nearly a quarter of the global workforce, according to Bloomberg Economics Estimates. In a report released Tuesday, economists Zayad Dowd and Scott Johnson said that could mean as many as 800 million people face a high exposure to the risk of their employment becoming obsolete. The Gulf Corporation Council, Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Japan are most vulnerable to disruption from automation, they wrote. That's because those countries have a large segment of the workforce in the kind of simple routine roles that can be most easily replaced by machines or already rely on cheap labor for tasks. Examples include clerical support in Japan or plant operations in Central European nations. Okay. So uh, I'll have this linked in the show notes. You can read There's a little bit more to that article. But what this is talking about, and we've talked about it before, so many jobs are going away. Now, with that, I'm sure other jobs will be created. Uh, Looking at space, they will probably need a labor force. They're going to need people to work with and repair these robots. They're going to need people to design and evaluate and update the software that runs all these programs Who knows, maybe AI will be doing it one day, but there's other opportunities out there. At the same time, though, 
I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are without jobs, but enter the role of the influencer. You're going to have more time on your hands, and many people are discovering this right now. So I know I spent the beginning complaining about some of these influencers out there, but I also gave the caveat that there are legitimate influencers in the world out there. How many times do you, you know, are you going to do a home repair and you quick pull up a YouTube video and it's some guy saying, hey, I'm a contractor and here's what I, that's value. That's education. That's teaching. And eventually you're going to get paid for that beyond just getting enough uh, views on YouTube. There's the social credit system that's coming into play. Well, not the social credit system, but there will be uh, basically through cryptocurrencies and digital currencies. Um, you're going to be able to earn money through your likes and engagements online and, and through a whole variety of other things. I'm not going to get into the dark implications of that. I mean, there's there's good and bad with everything. But what I'm saying is this change is upon us right now. And there's times where we may feel devastated, frustrated, angry, resistant to it, myself included. But maybe we also need to start looking at this as a time of opportunity because the person who's going to get angry and cross their arms and refuse it, I, I don't think I don't think we're going to stop it from happening. So what are you going to do then? Are you going to fight your war of resistance by yourself and not being able to engage with society anymore? Or can you find a way to stay true to your principles and values and keep that knowledge alive, keep that true flame inside you alive in a way that doesn't also bring about your own suffering? And that's what I'm trying to do here, my friends, and it's a tough balance. I don't want to immerse myself in all of this, but at the same time, I do see opportunities to find a way to do something I love and still preserve that flame that I'm trying to continue to carry. And I hope you can all do the same. All right. Speaking of obstacles and think and <laughs> to uh, further, I guess, uh, take the wind out of your cell here from the New York Times. I'm going to read this article, the heading to this article casually, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the police can probably break into your phone. There you go. That's the heading right there. Police can probably break in your phone. At least 2,000 law enforcement agencies have tools to get into encrypted smartphones, according to new research, and they're using them far more than previously known. In a new Apple ad, a man on a city bus announces he has just shopped for divorced lawyers. The woman recites her credit card number through a megaphone in a park. Some things shouldn't be shared, the ad says. iPhone helps keep it that way. Apple's built a complex encryption into iPhones and made it the device's security central to its marketing pitch. That, in turn, has angered law enforcement. Officials from the FBI, director to rural sheriffs, have argued that encrypted phones stifle their work to catch and convict dangerous criminals. They've tried to force Apple and Google to unlock suspects' phones, but the companies say they can't. In response, the authorities have put their own marketing spin on the problem. Law enforcement, they say, is going dark. Yet new data reveals a twist to the encryption debate that undercuts both sides. Law enforcement officials across the nation regularly break into encrypted smartphones. That's because at least 2,000 law enforcement agencies in all 50 states now have tools to get into locked encrypted phones and extract their data, according to a years of public records collection in a report by Upturn, a Washington nonprofit that investigates how police use technology. 
All right, this is a pretty long article. Uh, I'm going to leave this for you to read. I'll have it linked in the show notes. But it's no secret that you know what they're leaving out here, as we covered in the WikiLeaks stories about for during the last election three, four, four years ago, um, was that these phones are already hacked. They're already compromised when they're coming off the shelves. And that was through the CIA and the NSA. Now, as a former investigator, as a former intelligence agent, I would have made the same argument. To get into somebody's phone will save you years of intelligence collection and research and a whole bunch of ways that really are no no longer necessary, that are sometimes dangerous and labor-intensive and expensive to gather information. What would have taken me a year to get sometimes as an agent uh, in terms of understanding a person, their connections, where they're traveling, I could get in probably an hour or two just doing some research on Facebook and, and Google. Because there's a ton of, now if somebody's being a hard target, they're not putting that information out there, that's a different story. But everything that a law enforcement or investigator or a criminal would ever want is on our smartphones. It's there. They're tracking us. Not tracking us, we're giving it to them. That, I mean, that's the, that's the reality of it. So, no secret, police can probably break into your phone. So again, as you're crafting this new reality, as you're moving into that, be mindful of what you don't want someone else to know about you. And if that's the case, then absolutely do not put it on an electronic device. Get a journal. Write it down in your journal. Write letters. Do it the old-fashioned way. You need to be mindful of that. Things are changing. As if that's not enough, here we go. This is from nextgov.com. This is the last article I'm going to cover today. Pentagon. Hang on one second. The Pentagon will move primary biometric systems to the Amazon cloud. The move means at least two of the government's biggest biometrics databases will live in AWS clouds. The Defense Department wants to make major improvements to its biometric surveillance capabilities, starting with moving its databases and entire operational system to a cloud environment hosted by Amazon Web Services. The current automated biometric identification system, or ABIS, environment is split between DOD-owned on-premise systems and AWS-hosted cloud backups. As part of a new pending solicitation, DOD plans to move the main operational environments to the cloud and begin a set of major capability improvements. Request for information posted Tuesday to the beta SAM.gov outlines the department's plans for biometric enabling capability increment 1. The second phase of the program that got its start in 2007 with increment 0, which resulted in the launch of ABIS version 1.2 in 2014. Since that time, the program has upgraded ABIS to version 1.3 and established plans to extend, extend the system, expand the system with new capabilities and a cloud architecture that enables global access. Okay, they're looking at global access. Why? Because that's another indicator and warning that the big change is upon us. Nations are changing. Borders and boundaries are changing. They need, it's a global system that we're moving into. The system contains biometric identifiers, including face, fingerprint, iris, and others on more than 18 million people, most of whom are identified enemy combatants. How do you get on that list? That's what I wonder. By going to a protest, by putting stuff up on social media, what constitutes you as an enemy combatant? 
DOD ABIS provides 24-7 operational support enabling time-sensitive missions requiring on-demand biometric identification and identify verification of known and or suspected threat actors worldwide in support of joint all-domain operations and homeland defense, according to the draft performance work statement. Listen, Amazon is something that the majority of the population is using, at least right here in the U.S. right now. Amazon trucks are everywhere because everybody's ordering online. How many people have some kind of an Alexa device in their home that's constantly listening to you, that's constantly collecting data on you? Are you on the list? Are you in the database? What does the government know about you? Guess what? This was predicted in the book 1984. This is Big Brother's, uh, what did they call it? It's the, it's the smart TVs. I forget what they called it in the, in the book, but that's what we have right now, my friends. That's where we are. And again, this is something we need to be mindful of as we're moving forward into this new era that we are now living in. The system set up to provide biometric authentication and identification to troops throughout the world and connect with databases managed by other federal agencies such as Homeland Security Department and FBI, as well as international partners. ABIS is built on common standards used by the Army and the rest of the Defense Department, as well as industry standards for system development and operational procedures. Now, let's just look at it this way. Let's take... Let's take the merging our body, physical bodies with technology out of it for right now. We know that's where this is going, but let's take it and, and use something like Google Glasses with access to this database. And now you've got this bank the unbanked um, agenda coming up here where they take going to the third world or giving these people smartphones or getting them engaged in the economy and cryptocurrency and giving them their digital identity, which everybody's supposed to have. And you get somebody that shows up with these glasses with access to this you want to combine facial recognition technology to it with this with this biometrics authentication. You have all this information about a person and somebody using this tech could almost appear like a god or a highly trained psychic. They would seem omniscient, all-knowing. They could be wearing those Google glasses and being fed data about every person person that they come into contact with that's registered in this cloud service right now. So imagine walking down the street and you've seen the movies, you know, the recent movies, I think Black Mirror covers stuff like this too. You've seen it on TV. You have the technology where you're and it, where you're seeing the data of everybody you're passing on the street. Imagine what kind of power that is that somebody with the right access has the ability to know everything about you, again, depending on the level of access that they have. How vulnerable does that make us to manipulation, influence, discrimination if laws, rules, and values are to someday change, which could absolutely happen? It's a lot to think about, my friends, and as we become further and further integrated with this, that's why we need to be doing more, as Mr. Feeney says, than killing King Koopa. Continue to gather knowledge, but make sure that knowledge is valuable and it's not putting you in a bad, negative place. Make sure it's not that fake news. Make sure if you are influencing out there, you can have fun, you can entertain, you can be silly, absolutely, because there is value and a need for that stuff. But be mindful of the line. 
and you should always ask yourself, what am I contributing to my audience? Are they benefiting from this or is this just more mindless stuff that will further enslave the minds of the people that are watching my content? It's a lot, my friends. It's a lot that I covered uh, with these articles here. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and just just be careful. Again, as we continue to go through this transition, it's going to be hard at times. Take advantage of those moments that we have to enjoy the little things. Spend time with family. Spend time with friends. Do it now. Don't wait because there are challenges ahead of us. And that's going to do it. That's going to do it for this one. I'm glad I got to get this show out. I'm exhausted. I got more moving stuff to do tomorrow. I'm going to continue to build on this as I continue to work on the home studio. I've got some cool artwork that I'm ordering to get set up. And maybe I'll do a uh, an, a video, you know, my mindless video, to show you guys my office and my studio uh, in the next month or so. I think that'll be a fun little tour to do for you guys. So hope you enjoyed the show. hope you found value in it. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of the Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Water, my friend.